This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. It is indeed just a couple minutes past the hour here until uh, 5 o'clock. It is a call-in show. It is a live-in show. So your phone calls about your job, your employment, your severance, your boss, anything under that topic is what we cover week in, week out here. And that would be 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Bring it on. We'd love to talk to you. We get to a ton of things, of course, during the hour, Leah. And we always like to uh, to start with the week that was. What is happening in your corner? Lots, lots and lots, as always, nice. John. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a busy time of year. Um, and if this is, I just want to take a minute to remind people again about about this show. I mean, you do a great overview at the beginning, but if this is your first time listening into the show, this is the Employment Hour. I'm an employment lawyer here in Vancouver. And I essentially make sure that everyone is playing nice in the sandbox when it comes to your employment. (laughs) I help employees and employers through the various employment issues that come up in the workplace. So John, you mentioned a few, but you know, terminations, new contracts, severance entitlements, harassment, leaves of absences, anything like that. If it's happening in your workplace, I can help you. I prevent and solve workplace issues. And this show, The Employment Hour, is dedicated to exactly that helping you with your employment issues and it is a call-in show so please feel free to give us a call over the next hour and john and i would be happy to to answer any questions or concerns or you know go over what you're entitled to and what your rights might be and we do start every show with this uh it's ending up longer and longer. It's not so brief anymore. But That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's called The Week That Was. And what this is just, uh, this essentially is, is just a brief overview of some of the situations that I deal with on a daily basis. So these are real people that I speak to and uh, help over the last uh, couple of weeks of, uh, in, of my life as a lawyer. Uh, and this last week, I actually had the pleasure of speaking at a conference called Employment Law Masterclass 2019. Nice. Yeah. And, and And I was there for the whole day, um, not just because of the free lunch either, but because I am truly that large of an employment law nerd. Uh, I really enjoy hearing about what other employment lawyers find to be the most pressing issues facing employees and employers alike. And of course, their perspectives on these issues. Some I agreed with, some I didn't, obviously. Um, But there were a few common threads and themes that kind of continue to crop up throughout the day, two of which I wanted to deal with here uh, today. So the first is is contracts, employment contracts. And I okay. really, I mean, I, I also feel like I try to talk about this every week because it is so important. And every single issue that was canvassed during this conference, every potential problem or liability or source of exposure should have and could have been addressed by way of an employment contract. So we had this session on just cause. So that's obviously any termination where the employer is saying that they have the legal right to terminate you without any severance. So in that case, uh, an employment contract can be used by the employer to set out the grounds that constitute cause, right? It can be very specific about what's important to your company and to your industry and the type of things that are going to give rise to potential cause for termination. But importantly for employers too, it can limit your exposure if you're wrong on cause. If there was any takeaway from that particular uh, session, it's that just cause is enormously difficult to prove. It's called the capital punishment 
of the employment relationship. And so if as an employer, you say, I'm going to take my chances with hopefully the proper legal advice, I'm going to take my chances and claim that I have cause and terminate this person. If you're wrong on that, it could be a very costly decision if you're talking about a long-term employee. If you have an employment contract, you can be wrong on the just cause issue and still limit your damages with a really good termination clause that sets out what they're entitled to in the event that they're terminated without cause. And of course, that's also the other way in which contracts can be so significant and important for employers is in the event that you want to terminate somebody without cause, so without that legal justification. And that happens all the time. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. You know, sometimes you just get the sense that, Somebody has one foot out the door already. They're already looking for another job. And you would just rather cut them loose and bring somebody else in. Yeah. You, If you are going to do that, you want to do that as an employer with the least impact to your business financially. And the only way that you can do that, the only way that you can do that mm-hmm. is with an enforceable employment contract that limits what your liability is. Um, so those are the two big ones. We also had a big session on, of course, the legalization of cannabis because it's such yep. it's still such a huge issue and it's going to continue to be such a huge issue as this goes through our courts. Um, and of course, edibles uh, and vaping starts to become legal, which I understand is going to be done in the next year or so. Uh, and of course, we want to update our um, alcohol and drug policies to reflect the legalization of cannabis. What I found was really interesting about this particular um, segment of this conference was that uh, this particular lawyer that was speaking about this issue also brought up the fact that the, uh, the other policies need to be updated as well. So for example, your technology policy, do you want your employees on your company computer buying cannabis? Um, You know, you need to update your privacy policy to make sure that if you do have a rule that they're not to be buying cannabis on company property, um, that you, uh, they know that they can look at your computer at any time. So, you know, the employment contract can include all of those policies that will extensively and comprehensively cover that. And then, of course, the afternoon of this conference was dedicated to uh, a lot to harassment and human rights, which I'll get to in a second. And harassment is a very critical one as well because um, by law, every employer in BC needs to have a harassment and bullying policy in place through WorkSafe BC. Um, And so that is something that you want to form a part of your contract even if it's just incorporated by reference. And by that, I mean, your contract says, you know, you will also be subject to all terms and conditions of every corporate mm-hmm. policy. That includes the harassment and bullying policy. Um, so really, when it comes down to it, for employers, there's just no excuse. There's no excuse not to have a contract, in my view. Um, I understand that it's it's expensive. It can be, you know, pretty daunting to contact a lawyer to have this contract done up for you, especially because the law does change all the time. So it often needs to be updated. Uh, But it's really the only surefire way to limit your liability and exposure. And for employees, right, this is not just a conversation for employers. For employees, Mm -hmm, a well-negotiated contract between two parties acting equally can be a great thing, right? Everybody knows their rights and obligations and entitlements. 
Unfortunately, you know, this is rarely the case. I encourage everybody who has a contract put in front of them, every employee to contact a lawyer so that you, you know, you have the loaded bat. You can engage in these negotiations as an informed party and you can have a contract that sets out your obligations, rights and entitlements as fulsomely as you like. And then you, you have it all in black and white. You know what you're entitled to. But in the event that that's not the case... You know, I would say, honestly, if there's no contract for employees and there's no real need for you to push for one. However, the policies are critical, right? You want to know how to avoid being terminated for cause. You want to know what your employer's policies are on cannabis now that it's legal. And you certainly want to know what their harassment policy is and you want to know what that procedure is. Every employee that calls me needing advice on a termination or harassment or just a question on the rights, their first question I ask is if they have a contract. Every employer who calls me wondering how to prevent or solve a problem, I tell them they need a contract. And a good one, please, not one from Google. I so often see people pulling up templates from Google, and that can be a great backbone. If you want to use that to get it started and then run it by somebody who has experience in BC employment law, to make sure that it accords with the um, you know, provincial legislation and that you're ticking all the boxes and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's that you have to do, you can do that, but please don't rely on an internet-based contract for your contracts going forward. There's just too much at stake for, for you to do that. But so at the end of the day, my takeaway was just what it always is, which is that contracts are so critical and they can, they can prevent and solve uh, just about every employment issue that you can think of. Yeah, I think always the general rule, as we as we've always said, when it comes to contracts, for the employee, less is more. For the employer, more is more, as far as protection is concerned. And everybody needs to be proactive, uh, regardless, not reactive, because that's when you get into trouble, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that you know, for for most people, the employment relationship is going to be. Um, you know, very unequal in terms of right. power, right? right? And I think that that's, that's exactly where that comes into play, John, is that, you know, less is, less is more for the employee and more is more for the employer. But if, if you do contact a lawyer to help you negotiate a contract as an employee, um, or if you are, you know, a particularly sophisticated party and you've had experience with contract negotiation before, maybe you've worked in HR, maybe, you know, this is not your first rodeo when it comes to being on the other side of a, of a yep. legal document. Um, employment contracts can really, really benefit both parties, which is why when people come to me in the middle of an employment relationship with a new contract, and they ask me, you know, do I have to sign this? I tell them legally, you don't have to sign it, but why not try to negotiate? You know, yeah. why not try to sit down at the table, you know, come up and agree with, to terms that you can live with? Because then both parties know exactly what, what the parameters of the relationship are. And that's really only going to benefit everybody in the long run. Still lots of time for you to call in. It is a call-in show. It is live. We are ready for you, your employment, your severance questions. Bring them on. The Workplace in General, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Want to bust a few employment lists now, I think, uh, myths rather, I think now, right, Leah? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, actually, you yeah. know what? I did have one more thing that I wanted to talk about from oh, cool. the uh, yeah. from the conference, if that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is the conference that uh, that I did last last week called Employment Law Masterclass, and it was it was great. It was specifically for HR professionals, and uh, and it was a really really interesting and informative day. Um, and I always find that um, that conversations around just cause normally mm-hmm. generate the most discussion. Right. Uh, you know, you have a lot of employers. Of you have a lot of employers in the audience with their 
you know, hypothetical examples, right? That they just want a quick um, legal advice on, which is which is perfectly fine. But that usually takes up the entire question period. Uh, But in this conference. There were just a ton of questions about human rights legislation and the various rights and obligations that arise by way of this legislation. So in BC, every employment relationship, I mean, a lot of our human interaction is governed by the BC Human Rights Code. And the realm of employment is specifically covered under the Human Rights Code. So you cannot refuse to hire someone, terminate someone, or otherwise differentially treat someone on a discriminatory ground. And those discriminatory grounds are things like age, race, ethnicity, sex, disability, sexual orientation, right. um, you know, the, the, the whole sort of gamut of immutable characteristics. Um, th- those are things that you cannot differentially treat somebody uh, on the basis of. So every complaint of discrimination in BC has to be adjudicated by way of the BC Human Rights Tribunal. It can't be pursued civilly. And an important takeaway from this is just kind of a basic principle is that although it used to be six months, you only have one year to bring a complaint. And that's different from civil suits. In civil suits, you've got two years to bring a complaint. That's the limitation period. And I think that that's what most people just sort of associate with the time period of most civil um, or complaints generally, right? But for the Human Rights Tribunal, it's one year. so, so please, if, if you feel like you are suffering from any amount of discrimination, it's important to make that complaint sooner rather than later, rather than sit on it. And of course, it's not just going to be explicit discrimination that is adjudicated and complained of. In fact, it rarely is explicit discrimination. Um, it's shocking to see how much explicit discrimination still comes up. Um, but m- the vast majority of complaints is is implied. So you have a lot of um, implications from timing. Timing is the biggest one. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, people who are terminated right, at, right after announcing that they're pregnant or, you know, right, right after having a workplace injury, right? That timing just looks very suspicious. It can also be extrapolated through actions, right? So, you know, there was um, a company that I sued once where all the old people were the only ones who were terminated, right? The the company had nice. this, yeah, right? That's not obvious at all. They had this massive restructuring and the only people who were let go were 60 or older. Um, and, you know, that is pretty obviously ageism, um, so, you know, y- you didn't have the company say to them, we don't like you because you're old, let's get you out the door. But you can you can tell. And I find that most yeah. people have a very strong intuition about this kind of thing. If you feel like your race or your sex or your age or your disability is playing a factor in, you know, recently cold conduct or a Passover for a promotion or even a termination, you might be right and you don't need the hard evidence in order to make a complaint. Now, the one thing that came up repeatedly throughout the day was the ground of disability. And disability is also something that's protected and probably the one I see the most regularly. Um, mm-hmm. And the big the big points to go over with respect to disability under the Human Rights Code um, is that your employer has a duty to accommodate you when you yes. are suffering from a disability. And what that means is that they have to accommodate your medical restrictions to the point of undue hardship. 
And undue hardship can actually be a fairly high bar. Um, you know, the, it's not just hardship, right? It's undue hardship. So right. generally it has to be something that is particularly challenging, particularly expensive. It's, you know, this accommodation would jeopardize the safety or health or other empl- of other employees um, in order for the employer to say, we cannot accommodate this disability. Otherwise, if your doctor says, um, you know, John needs to come back on reduced hours or won't be able to lift things over 20 pounds anymore uh, or needs to be in a sedentary position, then your employer needs to do everything they can to do that. Now, I will also say that it is a two-way street here, right? So you, as an employee, can't expect your employer to be a mind reader. You have to go to them to say, I am suffering uh, from a disability. You don't need to identify it necessarily, but Mm -hmm. these are the accommodations that I need. And where this extends particularly is with respect to mental disabilities, because mental disabilities are also included under the rubric of disability. And that, of course, includes mental health issues. Um, And I myself, over the last three to four years, have just seen an explosion of yeah. of mental health issues in the workplace. And and I don't know if it's if it's because people are suffering from mental health issues more. I honestly think it's just because people are, you know, the stigma is reducing around mental health issues and so people are feeling a little bit um braver about speaking to Freer their to come out. Exactly, yeah. right? Talking to their doctor yeah. about anxiety and stress and depression and maybe understanding that that's not something that they need to deal with. So Mental health issues are something that your employer also needs to accommodate. And um, that can be more difficult to speak to your employer about. But the important takeaway from from an employer's perspective is that um, it's a new or ought to have known situation. And by that, I mean a lot of employers hear, oh, well, you know, the employee has to tell me if they're depressed. And if they don't tell me that they're depressed, I don't have to do anything for them. Uh, so they just bury their heads in the sand. But that is right. enormously dangerous because you also, as an employer, have an obligation or duty to inquire. And what that means is that if you see somebody who is, you know, who has been a fabulous employee for six years and has always been, you know, happy around the office and friendly, and then all of a sudden isn't getting along with people or isn't doing their job or, you know, classic sign is crying during meetings. Um, and, and that comes up a lot and, and is often a sign that somebody is suffering from something. In, in that situation, as an employer, you have a duty to inquire after their health. Um, and if the employee says, yes, I, I am suffering from this and you know I do need this kind of accommodation, then as an employer, you have the obligation, the legal obligation to provide that accommodation. Now, ultimately, it's, it's a minefield. I mean, that's why we spent, we spent an entire afternoon talking about this during the conference and I'm trying right. to pack it into eight minutes. Um, so it's always a good idea to, uh, to speak to an employment lawyer about it. But you know, it's, it's, it's also good to just have that general overview that your, your disabilities, yep. physical and mental, are protected. Your employer has a duty to accommodate you and you have a duty to cooperate with that accommodation, which includes uh, forthright communication. Wendy, uh, you mentioned, you know, to the point of undue hardship, if it goes beyond that and the employer truly can't accommodate any further, 
Does that get to the point of frustration of contract, I guess is what you would call it? Oh, such a good question. So, so it, it usually doesn't in that situation. And the reason okay. why it doesn't is because if you can work in some capacity, then your employer needs to accommodate you. And if they can't, so if they can't reduce your hours for whatever reason, or if they can't put you at a desk job, then then they just need to terminate you. But that termination will okay. come with a severance. A, a frustration of contract is a very specific legal principle where somebody has been off usually for a substantial amount of time, usually right. over a year at least. And the disability is permanent. So a lot of times when you have people okay. requesting accommodation, it's temporary in nature, right? But if you've got a doctor saying, this person is never going to be able to work in this role again, right? So yep. any accommodation you give them won't be temporary in nature. It's going to be forever. Then the employer likely has the opportunity to claim frustration of contract. And that means okay. that the employment relationship is done and no severance is owed. Anytime you want to reach out through email, that is a possibility as well. Help at employmenthour.com. I want to reach Leah and the rest of the team, 604-283-3123. But right now in the present, you want to call here at the radio station, this live show, and have your questions answered about your severance of your job or anything, workplace harassment. That's cool as well. We can answer them all. Well, Leah can answer them all. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You want to get into this, and that is busting employment law myths. Yes, I do. And by the way, John, I think you could probably answer a lot of questions now too at this point. <laughs> yeah, maybe one or two, possibly yeah, the yeah. easy ones. You know, a, a low a low ball across the plate. I might be able to right. knock it out of the park, but the difficult stuff now. I'm not doing it. You do pretty well, it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's the do appointment this appointment limits. Here's the, yeah, yeah. Here's the first one. Um, and a lot of people think this. My employer can't terminate me unless I've done something wrong. That's often the question you get when people call you say I was just fired, but I did nothing wrong, right? Yeah. It's it's the question I get, and it's also I think the impetus for a lot of people to contact a lawyer in the first place. Yeah. Right? I mean, cuz right. that is that is hands down I think the biggest myth and misconception that there is. Um, that your employer needs a reason to terminate you and it needs to be a good reason or a truthful reason. Um, and uh, it's also why I tell my employer clients that the best thing that you can do for somebody in a termination meeting is be forthright about the reason, even if it's just that it's not a good fit or yep. that you're restructuring and to be kind and compassionate in the termination meeting because a lot of people contact a lawyer uh, not for the reasons why they should, which is to have your severance offer reviewed, um, be, but because they feel like they've been wronged. Like the reason why that they were terminated yeah. was um, was inappropriate or was illegal. And that's probably the toughest thing that I, that's the toughest part of these consultations that I have is to say, yep. you know, I, I, you know, they're, the reason why you were terminated, unless it's discriminatory and unless your employer is terminating you for cause, is not legally relevant. Um, if you are a non-unionized employee, your employer can terminate you at any time for any reason or no reason, as long as it's not discriminatory and they pay you your full severance entitlements. And that right. is why knowing what your severance entitlements are is so important because that is the only way in which you as an employee are the most protected by the law. Our law says that a company can make any non-discriminatory business decision that it has to or wants to as long as they pay that employee out. 
So if you're terminated, as hard as it is, because of course it's it's personal and often quite traumatic to be terminated, you bet. focus less on the reason and more on that package. Yeah, and I know that's uh, you know the first part of the conversation. It's it's getting over the how dare they and okay, let's move on from that. Legally, you can't do anything about that, but let's look at the end of the of the, of the rainbow and the pot of gold that is there, which would be the severance and getting full proper severance. We're talking about uh, busting employment law, Miss. Uh, next one is I will lose my severance entitlements if I do not sign on the dotted line by their deadline. Their deadline. Yeah, and that's that's another big one too. And and I understand that, right? I mean, you've got a company saying, you know, we'll give you two weeks under the Employment Standards Act, but and we're going to offer you four more if you sign this release by five p.m. on Friday. And so you, yeah. you know, rightly and understandably think I'm going to lose this, you know, three times the offer amount if I don't sign this by Friday. But right. here's the thing. Your your rights become what they are at the moment that you're terminated, and no passing of deadlines is going to change that. So, you know, often what I try to do in these situations is explain why companies provide a deadline in the first place, if it's essentially meaningless, and it, and it is. It really, really is. Most of those deadlines are completely meaningless and arbitrary, and the reason why a company does that often is because they want to exert some pressure on you, right? Sure. They, they want yeah. you to feel the crunch, like you've got that you know, time-limited chance to accept their offer of four additional weeks. It makes it feel like an opportunity. And if it's a time-limited opportunity, then maybe you've got no time to speak to a lawyer. You know, If they're making it sound like it's something that might slip away, maybe you'll want to try to grasp on tighter and you'll sign right there. Um, uh-huh. You know, that's that's... A, a less charitable view of why companies do it, although that's certainly been my experience. Another reason companies do it is is purely logistical, and that's you know just to add a deadline for for uh, certainty. You know they want to do yeah. the books, they want to close the file, they might have a, a monthly or annual budget, and your severance payment is going to be listed as an expense and can't be pushed over to the next month or fiscal right. year. Right? Yeah. There's all sorts of reasons why a company would impose a deadline on your package. But the expiration of your entitlements is not one of them. The only time that I would really recommend that you have a lawyer review before the deadline for sure is if the employer is claiming that it has cause to terminate you. So if the employer is saying, we have cause to terminate your employment, John, but you know we will, on a without prejudice ba- basis, pay you two months of notice if you sign this by this week. Right then that is something that you want to make sure that you have reviewed. Because if you have legitimately and legally been terminated for cause, then technically your entitlements are zero, right? But that's really the only case in which uh, a deadline has any meaning. And even at that, there is no sense in operating under the gun. And what you should do is just contact the company and say, you need more time, you need to seek legal advice, you need the extra week, and then Give us a call. You can certainly talk to us, likely within 48 hours of calling us, and, and that's something that we do, we do for free. Questions, if you, have, if you have them right now in the, in the immediate time, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Busting some employment law myths. The next one on our list is, I will lose my severance entitlements. <clears throat> no, pardon me. I cannot be terminated if I am on leave. A lot of people think that too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big one too. And and not just employees, but employees for that matter think that being on a leave essentially makes you untouchable. 
Right. But that's that's not true. You know, as I said before, an employer can terminate you for any reason at any time. And that includes any time that you are on a sick leave or on a parental leave. The key here is that the sick leave or the parental leave isn't the reason for the termination, right? Okay. It can't even be a fraction of the reason for the termination. You know, I I, try, I like to think of it as you can be terminated while on leave, but you cannot be terminated because you are on leave. But, you know, as we were chatting about right at the beginning of this segment, that's, that's just the law. It doesn't mean that it's best practices for yes. an employer to terminate somebody um, while they're on leave. You know, I very rarely give my employer clients the green light to terminate somebody on leave unless they've got reams of paperwork to support the reasons for the termination. And obviously those reasons have nothing to do with the person being on leave. Um, the problem for most employers is that the optics are just terrible, right? Um, if an employee says that they're going on leave and then they're terminated, you know, one day, one week later, I think that the employer would have a terribly uphill battle proving that the leave wasn't a right. factor. Mm-hmm. So I would never suggest it from a practical standpoint. And it actually rarely happens, I think, because of that. But ultimately, you are not legally immune from being terminated because you are on leave. If, you're, if your employer is going through a mass restructuring and your department is affected, you will also be terminated, and that is perfectly legal and perfectly above board. You want to reach out anytime, get a hold of Leah and uh, her team at 604-283-3123, and you can go to VancouverEmploymentLawyers.ca, or email address is help at employmenthour.com as well. I think we have to, uh, to one more here quickly before sure. we break and uh, busting the employment law myths. The big ones, my employer has the right to change my job duties, pay, or job location. They do not. No. So that's 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 the big myth bust. Um, unless the your employer has clearly reserved the right to do so. So unless there's an enforceable agreement or contract that you've seen and signed that gives them the right. power to change your job duties or you know move you to Kelowna at their discretion, an employer cannot, without your agreement, change the essential terms of your employment. And essential terms mean exactly what you just listed: <clears throat> responsibilities, pay, and general job location. If your employer changes any of these terms, then you as an employee can either accept it or you can treat the change as the termination of your employment. And this is called a constructive dismissal. And a constructive dismissal is the same as a regular dismissal in that it entitles you to severance. So if the terms of your employment have changed and you do not agree to them and the employer doesn't have the contractual right to change these terms, then you can collect your severance. You still have some time to call in, ask your questions, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell is the way to do exactly that. Mary, thank you for uh, so much for hanging on. How are you this afternoon? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Okay, so I was on a medical leave and I returned to uh, work. The doctor said, you know, you don't have to go back to work, but I thought... I was pretty bored at home, so I went back, but the letter from the doctor said that I would have to be excused to attend medical appointments. So the first day I went back to work, I was called in within the first hour of being back, and I was told that I was terminated. And then uh, they wanted me to write my own termination notice out to the, the, my coworkers, saying it was my idea that I was leaving, saying it was the commute was too much or um, for health reasons wow. I wanted to leave. Sorry, then, let me just um, pick up my jaw off the ground here. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. 
Sorry, did you have more to the story that you wanted to add, Mary? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. And so that was that was it. They said the reason they were terminating me was because I was too diligent of a worker. I worked too much. I mm. uh, they wanted me to have a more life what work life balance. They wished for me a lesser commute. It was it was put to me that it was all for me. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to go. No, <laughs> no. And also, I mean, you know, obviously, it's a well-known fact that companies hate diligent, hard workers. So, <laughs> isn't that a weird one? Like, yes. I could not get it. Yeah, I don't know that. How dare uh, you? I don't know that I've heard this one before, Mary. But, um, but you know, it's it's it all distills down into really basic principles. Um, and you know, clearly, hearing this story, it tells me that they did not get legal advice, or they did not get good legal advice. Um, you know, they they maybe spoke to their family lawyer friend uh, who told them that this would be okay, but I assure you it is not. Um, so, you know, if you coming back from a disability leave requires some amount of, of accommodation, uh, and it sounds like in this, in this case, the accommodation was fairly mild. Not that that matters, but, you know, it's, it's really just a matter of you leaving early for, for yeah, medical appointments. Yeah, it was appointments to attend time to time. other doctor's appointments, like maybe come in late Monday mornings or, uh, yeah. you know, leave early on a, on a day. It, it, was, it was minor. It wasn't like I needed wheelchair access to the entire building or anything. Right, right, yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that certainly, you know, I, I'm not sure if you were listening to the beginning of the show, but that is certainly one of those situations where some amount of discrimination on the basis of disability can be implied into the p- employer's actions here. So you very likely have a, of a strong, uh, complaint under the human rights code um you know if not just the the specter of a complaint under the human rights code to perhaps scare them into uh into giving you this the severance that you deserve and and let's talk about that for a second because did you get a termination letter as well yes i did okay and um and how long have you been with the company uh two years okay and what position were you working in executive assistant and how old are you mary uh 56 Okay. And um, do you anticipate there being any particular difficulty, uh, particularly given that you just returned from a medical leave and finding uh, comparable other employment? Uh, I think there's lots of EA jobs around. It will be harder to find one that paid as well as mine. Right. You, know, you can get an EA for 35000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's 65000 a year, but they're all covered under the umbrella of being an executive assistant. Right. Okay. So it'll be harder to find a really good one. Okay. Okay. So, um, I mean, I won't ask you to get into the specifics about your termination package on the air. I would really encourage you to call me offline, but I can tell you that at a minimum, your severance package should be at two to three months at a minimum, possibly, possibly more. And added to that, we've got the potential human rights code complaint as well. And that severance package it needs to include your salary. It needs to include benefits, MSP contributions, uh, any kind of RSP contributions that they were making. So, you know, if you want to send me an email or give me a call, I'd be happy to review that severance package for you and also uh, review with you the potential for, for a human rights code complaint. But I'm really glad you called, Mary. Excellent. How do I get a hold of you? That's a, I'm going to give you that yeah, uh, you. give you that number right now, Mary. It'd be uh, fantastic to uh, to talk to you. Uh, write this down: six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. Again, six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. And you can go as well 
uh, to uh, helpandemploymenthour.com to reach out to uh, to Leah as soon as you can. We will uh, move on here to uh, to Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you? Well, pretty good, thanks. I have good, a, an unusual situation that uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, negotiated a continual severance for 18 months, which included benefits. And uh, uh, so uh, three months later, he passed away. Mm-hmm. And the question is whether uh, the remaining 15 months can go to his spouse or to his mm-hmm. estate, or does it end upon his death? Was there a signed severance agreement? Uh, yes, it was signed. Uh, but I, there was something about the severance agreement that was committed to writing? Well, I mean, you, 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 he had to sign off on the agreement uh, uh, to acknowledge that uh, they were satisfied with 18 months continual severance and benefits. Right. And so very often, I mean, the employment relationship is between the two entities, right? The employee mm-hmm. and the company. And so if one person passes away, that In generally... Case, yes. Yes. And that generally um, obviates any of the uh, of the obligations from, a, from an employment standpoint, and that includes termination pay. Uh, but I would like to take a look at both the employment contract and the signed severance agreement because you never know. There might be something in there that could allow for the continuation. What I can for sure say is that the only way that it would continue is into the estate. Uh, the 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 spouse would have no legal right to that the remaining of the, the remainder of the severance. Yeah, but you you seem uh, quite clear about uh, it uh, being obviated uh, that it ends at the at the person's death. Is that your your experience pretty well? There's nothing in the in the agreement that would suggest upon death or anything like that. No, and and there usually isn't something that explicit in the severance agreement. But there's different sort of interpretations that can be extrapolated from the way that the severance agreement is set up. I be, a lot of employment contracts and agreements do provide for the death of an employee. Actually, but what happens mm-hmm. when an employment uh, when an employee dies? What happens to the employment relationship? And to you know, because you often have um, pension contributions that uh, that have been accruing. You know, you might have somebody who's part of a share. Program program, um, you know, all sorts of things that can, uh, that can accrue or vest to, to a spouse or to the estate, but that would be covered in an employment agreement. So, you know, give us a call, Mike. I'd be, I'd be happy to chat with you further about that. Thanks, Mike. That number again, 604-283-3123. And uh, Susan, thank you so much for hanging on. How are you tonight? Hi there. I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Excellent. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, I would just like some, I guess, general information. At a termination meeting, um, you know, the meeting when they call you up and they tell you that you've been terminated, Mm -hmm. um, and they present you a check, and the check is uh, far lower than what your severance pay uh, calculator uh, suggests. What does that person do at that point? Do they walk out of the office? Do they take the check and then go seek uh, employment law counsel? Great question. Um, do they sign anything? Um, do Th- they leave is... it on the desk? Or what right. would be the um, procedure? That is a really great question, Susan, and thanks for calling in. Um, it- 
So I, I actually get that a lot. A lot of people say, oh, you know, I just, I got this amount put into my bank account. What do I do? Can I spend it? And the answer is yes. The only hard and fast rule about what you should and shouldn't do in these termination meetings is, yep. is related to signing anything. Right. Okay. So if they put something in front of you that says, I need you to sign this and we're going to give you this check, do right. not sign it. That is when exactly. you say, I need to get legal advice. I'm going to have this reviewed. Um, and then, you know, I'll take your check or I'll sign it or we'll, you know, we'll see you in court or we'll negotiate. Um, but if they just give you a check and, and send you out the door, you cash that. That is yours. Do not look a gift horse in the mouth. And, and you know, that, that you, you should use that to help yourself in, you know, doing what you need to do after termination, continuing to pay those bills, you know, putting food on the table uh, while, you know, you perhaps perhaps hire a lawyer to get you the severance that you deserve, especially if you reviewed the severance pay calculator and the amount that you received is quite a fair bit lower than what the calculator says. Okay, so don't sign anything. Correct. I mean, mm-hmm. if, uh, if there's nothing to sign, just take the check and go. But, you know, what if they say, well, y- you need to sign this and then uh, to release everything and then we'll give you the check. So nope. do you just walk out? Do you take any documents with you? Yes, take the termination agreement, okay? Because you, any lawyer who wants to review your severance package will want to review the agreement, um, but do not sign anything. That is the most important thing because there is very little that yeah. an employment lawyer can do for you once you've put your name on the dotted line. Exactly. And do you take the check? Well, they won't give you the check anyways until you sign the, the document. Very, very rarely will they, but sometimes what they do is they offer you your statutory minimums um, and they'll pay you that Mm -hmm. no matter what because they know that that's owing to you. So you can take that just as long as you don't have to do it in exchange for a signature. We appreciate that call, Susan. Good way to wrap it up tonight. We will uh, reconvene next weekend. Excellent job, uh, Leah. We'll join you again Thank as you, well. Sir. You want to reach out from here on in. It is 604-283-3123 and help at employmenthour.com. Till next time, it's been the Employment Hour right here, CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.